We're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host Ron Baker. And Ron, I'm very excited on today's show. We have Chris Elroy Strickland, executive consultant and former member of the Thunderbirds. And I know you're a big, huge fan of the Thunderbirds. (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. And we are we are going to get a chance to go deep with someone who ha- is is an expert in a topic that you and I have have dealt with a number of times on this show, what we call the after action review, but what uh, but what Chris and his team call a debrief. But we'll we'll get to that in, in in further segments. I first want to welcome Chris Elroy Strickland is an executive consultant at Afterburner. He is a, a proven Air Force leader with successfully, who has successfully bridged the gap between a military leadership and, and a civilian desire to learn about leadership. He's an acclaimed leadership writer with almost 100 publications. He's been recognized as the number one writer for Switch and Shift, General Leadership, and many other blogs. In addition to leading professionally for the U.S. Air Force and writing online, he is also a leadership advisor at multiple nonprofits where he helps ensure the future employment for many transitioning U.S. military officers. It is on our honor to welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Chris Elroy Strickland. Welcome, Chris. Thank you, Ron and Ed. I appreciate you having me on, and I always look forward to any opportunity to talk about the power of debrief. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll get there. We will absolutely get there. But uh, since we have, have, have a nice hour to, to talk with you, I'm uh, wondering if you would, wouldn't mind taking us through a little bit of your career. One of the things that I did notice on your biography is that you, you had your, your major at the Air Force Academy was economics. It was. It was. So that's where my passion is. Uh, I, economic, personal, private economics was my specialty, and I've continued throughout my career I always try to be in some type of learning venue, and I went on to get my uh, certificate in financial planning from Florida State, uh, certificate in management, and that whole leadership economic impact that drives all of us. Because I joke with my kids, everything is a math equation, everything we try to do in life. So that is my personal passion as we move forward. And then the, the career you ask about, it's phenomenal. I had a unique opportunity, and I love the Air Force. I really do. I started out flying F-15s. I did a combat tour. I went and instructed at the schoolhouse. And after six years of flying F-15s, I decided I wanted to be an Air Force Thunderbird. So I transitioned over after an incredible hiring process to be uh, one of the six demonstration pilots as the opposing solo. And then after that tour, I went off to work in the Pentagon as a senior captain. And and I tell you what, a senior captain walking into the rank-heavy Pentagon was a pretty amazing opportunity for the people I was able to learn from and be around and the aspects of our nation that I get to sit in the room and be a fly on the wall. Uh, since that time, I won't go through all my assignments. I did three NATO assignments. I did a NATO assignment in Afghanistan to grow in the uh, Afghan Air Force. 
uh, and I culminated my NATO side of the uh, career leading the Center for the Prevention of Terrorism in NATO, which is a, a unique opportunity to do that. I flew uh, in the U-2, in the F-18. I was checked out in the Global Hawk, which is something people don't realize. You, you think about our smaller UAVs, our smaller remotely piloted aircrafts, um, but people don't realize that we have one that flies above 50,000 feet and is the size of a 767. And I have flown that aircraft over every continent from here in California at Beale Air Force Base. Wow. Wow. Incredible stuff. So I, ha- I want to ask, so the Elroy is because your resemblance to Elroy on the Jetsons, is that correct? You got it. You'd be amazed at how many people don't get that. And they go, hey, how'd you get this call sign? So for those that don't know, all fighter pilots have a call sign that we use because we don't use our real names when we're flying around. And many of us don't even know each other's first names. We only hear it when our mom or our, our spouse is getting known to us. Um, but there's always come from a story. Some way we've highlighted ourselves, or some of us have what we call a natural. So when people are asking me why my call sign Delroy, I go, do you remember the Jetsons? And I point at my blonde hair and, and the rest <laughs> of me, and they always break out in laughter just like that and go, I'll never forget your call sign. Well, I'm glad I was able to make that connection ahead of time. That's that. It's what I what I what I thought immediately when I saw it. I'm a big fan of what you know, all 27 episodes of the Jetsons. That's all they're worth, but they were so good. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, well, there and this might, might be a bit of a sore subject, but you are you are. I guess it's infamous might be the the right word. Um, there's a, a a picture of you that many of us have seen, and you actually ejected. From from an F fourteen, and and it's it, every time I see that picture, Chris, I'm just like I don't know how a human being survives that. But can you, you want you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yep. So to set it up for the listeners out there, um, I was in an air show in Mountain Home, Idaho, and my F sixteen I ejected at forty feet above the ground, one half second before impact, and the entire flight was twenty five point twenty five seconds long. So think about that. 25 seconds. What do you do in 25 seconds? Most of you, if I'm in person, I usually go pick up your coffee cup and take a drink and I'll, I'll time out 25 seconds. That was the entire length of my flight from takeoff to impact on the ground. So if we sit down and go through everything, so hopefully you know about temporal distortion, that, that feeling that time slows down when something extreme is going on. So for me, that 25 seconds lasted over three hours long have everything I thought about, everything that went through my mind. And as I go on the road with Afterburner, talking to executives of companies around the world, I always tell them the same thing. Our model is called flawless execution, and we strive for that. That's what we teach companies to do, is to pursue flawless execution. And I always stand there and go, I'm not just a believer in the process, but I attribute the fact that I am alive today to this cycle. And what I mean by that is myself and the other solo in October, we sat down in a briefing room, and we went through every maneuver, everything we should do, everything we could do, and everything that might happen. And we thought about our reaction, about what we would do if something went wrong, if what we would do, uh, how we would react to it, and we flew every one of those things in our mind. So what that meant was when it actually happened and something went wrong, I had already flown that mission before. So the ejection seat company came in afterwards. So for those fans of flying, you know that everything in the aircraft has an envelope where it's safe to operate it. I ejected at 40 feet above the ground with 8,000 feet per minute descent, which is well outside the safe ejection envelope of the seat. 
the company that made the seat came in after the fact, after the investigation was over, and they looked at the in- entire situation, and they said it was not possible for you to survive that sec- ejection, but it was a flawless execution of the ejection sequence and the training that went into it. So for all the people running companies out there, if you don't think training is important, I am living proof of that here today. I would not be here if I had not been trained to that level and my reactions were not as automatic. And, and I think that the, the lesson or one of the lessons that from, from your story, uh, and I also equate this with, with the famous story of, of, of Captain Sullenberger, the, you know, he landed the, the, the plane in the Hudson. And the phrase that he used, I think, on 60 Minutes, he, he called it a he, he called it successfully crash, which which is which is kind of an interesting phrase. But um, what what your story tells us that you know sometimes we ha- in business we have to figure out a way to successfully crash things, right? It, we know we're, we right. know something's going down, but but we've got to bring it down successfully in a way that 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 keeps people alive. In some in your case, obviously. And I use that all the time in business because we have projects that won't make it, that won't succeed, that won't perform at the level we thought, but we don't want to lose the whole company as a result of it. We have to land it as gently as possible with minimizing impact to the people around us, to the company, and to our resources as a whole. And that's what happened in my situation as I look out at 85,000 people who are watching us perform that day, and I steered the aircraft away from them and kept it just short of the tower so that when it hit the ground, it tumbled between everybody out there and didn't harm anybody. That's what we have to think about in business because we have to be able to successfully bring every mission back down and minimize the impact if it's going to be negative. All right. Now, so I have to ask, so when I saw you the first time was about uh, six weeks ago, I guess, at the, at the Sage Intact leadership event that we had in, here in Atlanta, and there was a buzz, a rumor going around the room that because of this incident, you are an inch and a half shorter. Is that true? That is not true. Not true at okay. all. It's two and a half <laughs> inches shorter. Two and a half <laughs> inches shorter. <laughs> oh, my God. No, so you're wow. two and a half so, inches shorter. And, like, what? Yeah. how does your body adjust to that? So I will tell you the ejection sequence itself. So you're actually right. The picture you're talking about, you can see the blast of the rockets carrying men away from the aircraft. And that is pretty aggressive. It's a pretty high G maneuver, but that's not where it happened for me. Because I ejected at 40 feet above the ground, the parachute opened and stopped my forward momentum. But I was so low that when I swung underneath the parachute, I hit the ground. So we all know the stories of enough adrenaline pulsing through moms that they can pick a car up off their kid. Well, I had enough adrenaline going on that when I landed in the fireball, in the fireball, I landed on my feet and stuck the landing. I stayed on my feet. So afterwards, they said it was the equivalent of jumping off of a three-story building and landing on your feet, and it compressed everything in my body. So many doctors I've stood in front of, if any of them are out there listening, they looked at me and said, there's not two and a half inches of cartilage in your body. It's not possible. And my answer was, I don't care. I'm two and a half inches shorter today. And my medical (laughs) records reflect that, so it must be possible. You know, it, it, that's really just incredible. So I guess it's, it's this, I once heard this, I think it's apocryphal story about the, the honeybee that according to the laws of aerodynamics, the honeybee is not, it's not capable of flying, but nobody told the honeybee that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It also wasn't capable, I wasn't capable of surviving that ejection, but I'm here. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Just some, some really cool stuff. 
Well, uh, we'll we're going to get into the after action. We've got about two minutes left uh, before the, the end of our first segment here. So before we get to the, the debrief, and I'll let Ron do that for you, is, is there another, another story, another great Thunderbird story that you can share in about two minutes before the end of our break here? Uh, how about how about we go non Thunderbirds? So uh, my okay, last deployment was to Afghanistan, leading a team of about eight to eight hundred to a thousand people, building the Afghan Air Force, and we had multiple nations there, multiple personalities, nationalities, culturals, and that was the biggest learning in the leadership aspect uh, in my career because you had to be so unique, and it translates so well into business. Because it's the same thing we do. When I have people that work in California and and Alabama and New York and we have different backgrounds, that is a true secret of leadership is being able to mold those people to one mission so that they intrinsically want to do well for your company and themselves. So that would be my quick two-minute leadership aspect of uh, what I learned from an assignment in NATO. Yeah, I guess I guess in the end, one of the things that's it's sometimes hard to forget is we're, we're no one here but us humans on this planet, right? And, and right. in the end, we all we all relate to one another in, in, in some similar ways. We should. We should relate to we each should. other in similar ways. And I, as I travel across businesses, that's not always true, but it's always true of the successful ones. Great, great. Well, up against our first break, we want to remind you that you can contact Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. And there's still time. We have our our Verisage conference coming up next week in Allen, Texas. If you'd like to attend, please send an email to us, and we'll figure out a way to get you on board with that. Right now, we want to hear from our sponsor, Leading Results. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Is your website just a brochure or is it your best salesperson? If your site is not the best lead generation tool you have, we should talk. We are leading results. We build websites and marketing programs that impact your bottom line. Using HubSpot or WordPress, we'll create a website and supporting marketing program that gets your business found, converts web visitors to leads, and provides clear tracking on what is and is not working. Learn about our team and approach to your success. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the foreword changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the foreword to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its foreword. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the foreword and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. 
Well, welcome back, everybody. We're honored to be here with retired Colonel Chris Elroy Strickland from the United States Air Force. And Chris, thanks for your service. First off, I really uh, appreciate that. And uh, would love to talk to you about the debrief. Ed and I call it After Action Reviews. We've done shows on it and have written quite a lot about it. Uh, but you, but this is a major theme in your consulting work. I think it's one of the most a, a phenomenal learning tools ever. Uh, but give us your your take on the debrief and the lessons learned, as you say. So the debrief is the most amazing thing we do, and it's how we ensure that we grow for tomorrow. We perform better tomorrow than we did today. So it's such a quick and powerful experiential learning tool that we enhance our entire team's performance if it's done the correct way. So we'll dive into the details of it over the next 45 minutes or so, but it is the it is the number one way that we make sure we learn from today and we make it lessons learned, not just lessons experienced. Because as I travel around the world talking to businesses now that I've retired from the Air Force, too often they go, oh, we have lessons learned. And when they describe it to me, it's just lessons experienced. So two or three individuals may know something happened, but then they're late for the next event. They've got a sales call to get on. Well, they don't want to sit down and talk about right because they're too busy getting ready to sell for that success. Or heaven forbid, they talk about what went wrong. But we need to understand both what went right so we can duplicate that tomorrow and what went wrong so that we can negate that tomorrow. And that's how we perform our, our performance. It's almost like action without reflection is thoughtlessness. But when you combine action and reflection, it's it's really continuous learning. I, I you have a LinkedIn article on your LinkedIn profile about the DB, debrief secret of a high speed fighter pilot, and you had an epiphany at fifty thousand feet. And I just love the question you ask in that article about how does the military train a young college graduate into a fighter pilot? And your epiphany was basically it's it's the debrief and lessons learned, isn't it? It is. And, and to take that to the next level of training, I always talk about the Thunderbirds. So there's six demonstration pilots. And uh, if you look at that and ask them how long the tour is, it's only a two-year tour. And, and as I ask CEOs, how long would you keep people around that you had trained that level of perfection in? They always say, forever. I never want to leave my company. But the Air Force is not designed that way. Air Force is designed so that half the team is brand new every year. And so the next question is, how long do you think it takes to train that level of perfection and execution? And it's four months. When I was hired to be a Thunderbird, I came out of my F-16 training, and for four months I flew three times a day, five days a week. And that's the training I had before I started flying air shows. So that's really not long if you think about how much you can learn in four months. And if you ask Thunderbirds, Blue Angels, uh all the different countries' demonstration teams, how are you able to duplicate that every single year? They'll almost always come back to the power of debrief because the debrief allows us to look at how we performed. We find two or three things that we need to improve tomorrow because if there's 50 things I did wrong, I cannot fix 50 things between this flight and the next. So we find the two to three things that are the most important for us to fix, and we focus on how to correct those for the next flight. And as long as you do that incremental 
improvement every single time, you get so much better down the road. And that's the reason they can fly 18 inches apart, six aircraft upside down at 75 feet over a million people and know that it's going to be safe. Right. You, you know, you cited a study that teams that use debrief outperform teams that don't by some 25%. Wasn't there a, a, a controlled study between the Air Force and the Navy at one point that kind of determined that as well? And that's why the debrief was picked up by the military? Is that a story yeah, true? That is, that is where it uh, started out, uh, the debrief. And like you said, everybody has a term for it, after action, uh, a review, a post-mortem, a pre-mortem. Uh, different companies have different ways of talking about it. But you know what? The military elite teams have been doing this for a long time, so that's the reason I believe in the process I used for 23 years and three months while I served. And if we do that, so the numbers you're talking about, first of all, you think about the strategic objectives of the company. So everybody says they want to achieve their vision, they want to achieve their objectives. But if you look across industries, only 33% of strategic objectives are achieved. So that's a lot of wasted effort, time, blood, sweat, tears. And most of those companies, when you ask them how they learn, their answer is, and they always say it with a little bit of pride, we learn from the school of hard knocks. Well, that's not something to be proud of. We need to work smarter, not harder. If you're learning from the school of hard knocks, you essentially improve less than 5% every time you iterate through a process. But if you go through a debrief, if you debrief what happened, even if it's unstructured, if we don't know what we're doing, if we have no idea... This is us getting off this radio thing today and walking to the cars going, hey, how do you think it went today? You improve your performance by 28%. If you do that and you have a structure, it goes to 38%. And if you have it facilitated by somebody that knows what they're doing, like the military professionals we use, you can be 300% more effective. You can accelerate your performance by that much. So I always go to the CEOs and go, don't don't believe the 300%, don't even believe the 38%. But let's go back to that 22 to 28% improvement. You don't know what you're doing, but all you do is get your people together for 15 minutes. Was it worth the cost of 15 minutes for your team to improve by that much, by a quarter? And every time I always get a little yell out of them and they go, we'll start doing it right now. Because that is the performance we improve every single time with a debrief. Right. And boy, I can imagine a 25% increase in effectiveness in the military. I mean, that translates into life save too. So that's huge. It does. And to take it one step further, we, we don't have the resources or the time to experience everything ourselves. So the drive of a debrief is to generate lessons learned that we can spread across the enterprise so that we can accelerate learning as a team. Because I don't have time to learn all the lessons you don't. So we need to share our experiences between the two of us so that together we can make the tide in the bay rise and all our boats will rise with it. Right. Chris, can you unpack uh, the Air Force's debrief process, a series of questions, I would imagine? So the way we translated this, going back 21 years, Jim Murphy was an F-15 pilot who had came from the corporate world, and he had one of those epiphanies like you and I just talked about in my article. And he said, wow, I could take this to business. So he translated that. He wrote a book called Flawless Execution, which I highly recommend for any of the readers to go out there and uh, get right now because it will change the way you do business. And what he did, what we still teach to this day, is our debrief model, and it's a stealth, because we in the military love our acronyms. You guys know that. Uh, so we always want a checklist for everything. So our debrief acronym is stealth. 
The S is for set the time. We need everybody to know when we're debriefing and what's expected of them. Every time I went out and flew in a fighter aircraft, 45 minutes after I landed, I walked back into the debrief room, and I was expected to have every parameter of my aircraft every 15 seconds for the entire flight or any change in heading more than 15 degrees. That's a pretty clear expectation, and you train up to it, but that's what you want your team coming into. Next, sure. the T in stealth is to set the tone. So we always have to remember that debrief is a culture of debrief. Everyone in the room has to know that it's nameless and rankless. We need to be able to open up with each other so that we make each other better and improve as a team. So what we tell the leaders do is start with inside-outside criticism. Stand up in front and say, this is what I could have done better. What do you think I could have done better? So think about a new hire in a company. If they walk in and the CEO or the executive vice president is that open with their leadership and their actions? How likely are they to admit what they did wrong and how they can improve? So that's the first two steps. Then we go to execution versus objectives. The key to a debrief is that you have to plan it out and set clear objectives for your team. And here we just score it. Did we meet our objectives? It's a yes or no. It's a binary system. We don't talk about anything about how we got there so that we know where we are in respect to our objectives. Then we analyze. Then we figure out the why. We ask, why, why, why? Why did this happen? Why did it go well? Why did it go bad? And how can we ensure that it doesn't happen again? So in my mind, I think about dominoes. When I set them up like they were meant to be, and I hit the first one, I want the one 50 dominoes down the roll to fall. But if one of them's in place, or I pull one of them on a bad situation, I just change the environment. That's what we do in the analyze execution. We focus on the key events, find out what happened, why it happened, and what the root cause is that drove it. And then the last three are lessons learned. We develop it into lessons learned. So when I go into companies and do this, the first time they come up with lessons learned from an event is always communicate better and be more organized. And I say, that's like my boss coming in and saying, hey, I want you to go out there and give 100% today. Well, I didn't wake up and say I'm going to give 83% because that's not motivational for me. So we have to develop this into actionable lessons learned of, hey, Ron, I want you to tell Ed these three things, and this is how we know they'll improve. Right. Then we must transfer yeah, that, them. You know, you point yeah. out in one of your other articles that surgeons go through this process as well, and I actually sat through a debriefing in an ICU ward, and it was the same thing. I mean, here are doctors and, you know, highly educated medical people admitting mistakes and boy, does that drive out fear in an organization and, you know, I think leads to more creativity, innovation, and, and more effective performance going forward. And, and it really creates a, a culture of truth over artificial harmony. I don't want to hear how good I did. If I didn't do that good, and I need to improve for tomorrow. Same thing, I owe you that back. And, and like you said in the article that I wrote, they are the closest to fighter pilots because surgeons operate in the same structure. There's a flight lead in that surgery. Everybody knows who's in charge, and they debrief after it's over so that they can make sure that they perform better in the next one. Right, right. What, and how long is a, a typical debrief after a flight or, or say, a flight or an air show? What, how long uh, would it so be? An, an air show for the Thunderbirds, our typical show, depending on weather, is either 28 or 32 minutes long. And for us, we could debrief up to two hours because of the wow. level of precision we're executing at. And it was on a projector about 10 foot across the wall, and an inch out of formation felt like 10 feet. And it felt like it stayed up there forever. But you better believe I could explain how I made sure that wouldn't happen again. For businesses, we always say it needs to happen within a week 
of a mission concluding. And it depends on the size of the mission and how big the team is. I can do a debrief. My team here, we're, we're sitting in the car with three of us, and we just debriefed a three-day event, and we did it in 15 minutes driving down the road. That's still an effective debrief. It has to meet every criteria, but it can be done in any capacity. It can be virtual. It can be over the phone. It can be in person. That shouldn't be your excuse for not doing one because any debrief is better than no debrief. Right. Chris, do you normally uh, advise companies to capture these debriefs, whether they're transcribed or recorded, so they can maybe put it into a knowledge bank and access it later or have new team members access it? What we capture are the lessons learned of the debrief. So the results of why did we do well or what could we have done better, we capture those lessons learned and we need to put them in a database we need to transfer them in some capacity. We all get too many emails all already, so I highly recommend companies don't just email them around or else they're going to get auto-filed into the delete folder. Uh, but you need to think about for the size of your team how you distribute those lessons learned so that you can improve those around you. Right. I, I just love the point you made. I think in one of your articles, it's called The Five Principles of Success. And we'll link to all these two and the book that you mentioned as well. But you say, you know, there's been 325 Thunderbirds, roughly, and they turn over 50% every year. And, and you say most companies have worked together maybe for decades and they don't reach this level of, you know, flawless execution. And it's such a good point because they're not taking the time to do these debriefings and capturing those lessons learned. So I think that's a great lead-in as a teaser to get people back from the break because I think we're coming up on one of those. I'd like to give you an example of how myself and the other solo meet at Show Center. So in order to be scored, everything we do is scored. We have to be within 300 feet of Show Center, plus or minus. That's one half-second accuracy. So when we come back from the break, I'll tell you how we do that in our high-tech aircraft. Phenomenal. Thank you. That's a great, great segue, folks. I'd like to remind you, if you want to contact Ed or myself, you can do so at AskDSOE at Verisage.com. Please uh, give us a review on iTunes so we can get more uh, fantastic guests like uh, Colonel, Colonel Chris Elroy here. And now we want to hear from our sponsor. of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. Register now for the Art of Value Conference and Verisage Symposium in Allen, Texas. The Art of Value Conference runs Wednesday and Thursday, November 8th and 9th, with a networking day on Friday, November 10th, and an incredible Texas high school football game. There's nothing like it. Then, stay for the Verisage Symposium the weekend of November 11th and 12th. For pricing and more information, visit artofvalue.com and click events. Become the best consultant you can be. Attend both events, artofvalue.com, and click events. 
the business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we are back here on The Soul of Enterprise with Chris Elroy Strickland with the company Afterburner talking about debriefs in the military and, and how you can adapt those and make them use in, it, use, usable in your organizations. And uh, during, before the break, I was, was tracking along that uh, Chris has this great acronym for the debrief called STEALTH. And before he shares the, the story that he, he teased you with going into the segment, uh, Chris, I wonder if you wouldn't mind just, just taking us through the rest of that acronym, the T and the H, just so that we have in the interest of completeness, get through it all. That's perfect. So uh, the lessons learned is where we let out, left off in the STEALTH acronym. So we have to come up with those common recurring root causes for the things that went right and the things that went wrong in every event, in every project, in every flight. And then the T is to transfer those lessons learned to the team, to the organization that whole. It accelerates that experience and it improves future execution of everybody, not just yourself, because we really want to be on a team that's pursuing flawless execution, and that means we're not worried about us as individuals, but when we talk about our company, it's our company, and we are intrinsically motivated for the success of our company and know that if the company's better, we will recruit better people. It will make us better. As your mom once said, you are the people you surround yourself with, the five people you spend the most time with, and I want the ones that are going to share their lessons learned with me so that I can be better tomorrow. Remember, the goal of any leader is to produce a better leader to take over from them than they were when they took over. And that security of leadership and confidence and leadership of doing that. The last part is a high note. So the last letter of the stealth acronym, we always want to finish on a high note. And I often get many people that look at me and go, you know, fighter pilots are not known for needing to be told how good they are. So why do you finish on the high note? So let's go back to that Thunderbird show. Remember, 28 to 32 minutes, we flew all the maneuvers we flew, hitting perfect execution for those pictures you took at show center. And I may have been one inch off, and we talked about it for 30 minutes and how to make sure it doesn't happen again. Well, after you do that in a long debrief in the front of your entire team, it's pretty easy to go, man, I don't feel good about today's performance. You know, we could have made an extra million dollars on that deal. We could have been more successful. I could have flown a better air show. And so we can't forget at the end of the debrief that our Air Force fighter pilots are some of the best fighter pilots in the world with incredible training and capability. And we always finish with, we were successful in our mission today of flying a great air show, of making a great business acquisition, of pushing software out that took over the world of finance so that we can track things. We have to remember that so that our team walks out with their head held high and they go, you know what, I'm going to come back tomorrow and I'm going to be that much better because of this debrief and the lessons I took out of it. Outstanding. Outstanding. All right. Did you want to, uh, is that the story you wanted to share there with, with, with us on, on, the, on uh, being close to the, you know, within 500 feet of the show? So I didn't figure you'd let me off without telling that story. So flying the yeah. F-15, it's an amazing aircraft. It really is. 
one of the most capable in the world. It's high-tech. We have radar altimeters. We have radar. We have a heads-up display, a piece of glass that sits in front of us to project everything up on that so we don't even have to look down. And everybody says, how can you be that precise with what you do? And the Thunderbirds made two modifications to their aircraft. They took out one thing so we could put a barrel for smoke foil because we put that smoke out the back so you can see us. And we mounted an analog stopwatch. Now, I have to be careful when I tell this to younger audiences because I have people go, what's an analog stopwatch? But most of us are old enough to remember. We mount an analog stopwatch to the left side of the dash. And when myself and the other solo are 10 miles apart, he says, stand by, hack, less hack now. And both of us reach up with our left hand and we hit the start button. And the only thing we use to make that happen at show center is the ticking second hand of the seconds on that analog stopwatch. Everything from that point forward, my timing to meet him at show center with a half second of accuracy is all off the inflection in his voice because what he says is scripted and he can't change it. The only thing I hear is the inflection in his voice that tells me whether to speed up or slow down a little bit or a whole lot. And we make that happen. And at the last moment, we're pointed nose to nose. If nothing changes, we will hit each other. At the last moment, he calls me to bank up and we pass 50 feet apart. So close that you hear the electricity discharge between the aircraft on the radios. And that's the picture that each of you snap on your cameras and keep forever because that's what you remember out of the air show. And it is done off of training, knowing your partner, being comfortable with the way they perform, trusting them with your life and knowing that you can hit with 300 foot accuracy. I've I, I got chills just hearing your stories. <laughs> just from the inflection like, of the... Yeah, so do I. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, it's 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 a little bit of there from to a tax return, but okay. Um, <laughs> I I I, <laughs> I, I, I want to ask you this, uh, Chris, because one of the and I've been talking about after action reviews in my consulting class for a decade, and I've gotten one c- common theme, one common pushback that I get from people who have tried to implement them, is that they 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 went sideways on them quickly. And it, it, they quickly turned into, it was, it was no longer a debrief. It was, uh, you know, uh, a biatch session. Let's put it, put it that way, right? And I'm wondering if there's anything that you guys talk about to, to, to help steer clear of that. Or is, are there some ground rules that you could offer us for people getting started with conducting debriefs on the best way to make sure that they stick inside the organization? Yeah, and, and I, I hear that a lot from businesses, and I, will, I always say the same thing. Uh, the session can't be a blame session. It has to be an accountability because I'm accountable for my actions, but that's different than blame. It needs to be open and not personal, which is why I like checklists like the stuff model we just went through because if you get off track and I bring you back to the letter we're on, you don't take that personally. You go, oh, we're in a process and there's a structure to this. And it's a lot more palatable as you do that. At the same time, it has to be that culture. So you'll see the keywords I go back to is it's not a blame session. It's about building a culture of we need to get better. And in order to get better, we need to understand where we can improve and how we can improve it. Those are the things that we use as we're going forward. And your team will embrace it even more when they know that that's really what the leader means because We've all seen that leader that walks in the room and goes, okay, team, I want you to tell me what I can do better. 
And what they really mean is, okay, team, I want you to tell me how awesome I am and how lucky you are to work for me. That's not the leader we want to go for. We want to be with the leader who truly wants to improve his or her performance, and that sets a tone for everybody in that organization so that they can do the same and know that if we get better, then we all get better as a result of it. You know, one of, one of the stories that, that uh, a person who came through my class once shared with me, and it made a profound impact on me, is that, and, and you did mention it earlier, but I, I just want to push on a little bit and get your thoughts, was he, he said that when, and I think he was in the Marines, he said, well, we would conduct some of our after, after action reviews. We, we, we would take off our, our hats and place and, and, and place it, rank, them ranked down on the table, right? Um, as as to, to signify that during this meeting we effectively have no rank. There is no there, there's no superior in the in this. Uh, uh, and and at the same time they said while we did that we always encouraged the more junior people to speak first because otherwise I guess you know the, if the if the major says something then the sergeant goes yes yeah, sounds about right. So are, are are those some things that you can do as well to make sure that you're fostering this this sense of really understanding what everyone is thinking. It is critical, and that's the one thing that we really employ in businesses when we do this. So go back to when we talked about debrief at the beginning, and remember I said it has to be nameless and rankless. So a perfect example of that is when I was a lieutenant, a brand-new F-15 pilot, and as the flight lead, I was leading four F-15s into combat in Iraq, and I had the wing commander on my wing. Well, he outranked me by about 20 years and was the most experienced person I ever met. But as the flight lead, when the door closed and he was my wingman, I debriefed him as though I was the leader because I was. Now, as soon as that door opened and we walked back out, he was drastically my superior and my boss. But that's the culture you have to create. So in companies, what we say is leave your rank and position in the company at the door because this is about us being teammates and getting better, not about how much you outrank me or how positionally you outrank me. That's not how we create this open culture. Really good. The, the, other, the other tip that I've heard from people in the military was that, that to have, if it where possible, have some kind of a facilitator. And I think this is what you were mentioning with, a, with an outside leader who, who really doesn't have a, an axe to grind, wasn't maybe a part of the project. Right. Is, is that you find that to be true as well, that it's really have to try to have someone who's a little bit dispassionate about this particular engagement or project that you were on? In the beginning, that is key. So go back to those numbers. Remember, without a process, it's 22% improvement. With the process, it's 38. And with an outside facilitator and a process, it's 300% improvement. Because wow. we are all emotionally vested in the, in the plans we made, because they're our plans, in the plans we executed, because it's our company, and in the results we have, because they are a grade, whether we like it or not, on what our performance was. Even when we try to take that emotion out, it, we can't. Plus, we have that transactional, I've worked with Ed before, Ed's worked with Ron before, and Ron's worked with me before. So we all carry that emotional baggage, positive or negative, as we're going in. Whereas when you bring an outside facilitator in when you're first starting this culture, that is why you can increase your performance so much because it doesn't matter if we're walking out of a software company or a healthcare company. The process works and it scales across everything. And that's why we can keep, as facilitators at Afterburner, we can keep you on track and we can help you highlight what you could do better as you move forward because we're not emotionally invested in how it 
goes with the company. We just want to see your success. So in the beginning, that is critical to have an outside facilitator. Outstanding. All right. Well, we're up against our last break here. Uh, And and if I don't get a chance, because we're going to take this last segment, I want to uh, thank you also for your service and also for being on today. This has been been terrific for me. Uh, I've learned so much in this uh, 45 minutes, and I look forward to the next 15 minutes with you and Ron. But right now, it's uh, time for a word from our sponsor and my employer, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash US forward slash SOE. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Solemn Enterprise Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here with Chris Elroy Strickland, a retired Air Force colonel, former Thunderbird. And Chris, we've been talking about the debrief. I love your stealth uh, acronym. That's just fantastic. So wrap it up for us. What are some of the advantages or pros of of the debrief? So I appreciate you asking me that. I I don't know if you guys can tell, but I'm pretty passionate about what I do and the debrief and how much it can improve everybody. And and it's everything from companies to individuals. I always joke, I have four children, and I always joke that we plan out our missions to Disney World. Everybody knows their assignments of where we're going, and at the end of the day, after the fireworks stop, they all look at me and go, okay, Dad, let's have the debrief of how we could have a better vacation tomorrow. So I actually employ this in every aspect of my life. You sound like Ed. He does the same thing. but I do, (laughs) dinner time. (laughs) So so I've told you how as a leader, I mean, a leader of any company, who doesn't want 22% improvement? Who don't want 38% improvement? But now let's take it a step further because the way we change this culture is for everybody on our team to understand how vital it is for us to do this. 
So I like to look at a couple of principles of the pros of debriefing for our team. When we go into a project, whether it's a simple daily project or a complex organizational quarterly project, think about how much effort's going into it, about how much emotion's going into it with your team. And the debrief allows you to close that loop. It allows you to formally conclude that task, that project that they've been doing everything, putting everything into. It allows you to draw a line in the sand from yesterday's mission to tomorrow's mission so they don't blur together. And it's an appropriate means to put the past behind us and to generate those lessons learned coming out of it. So that's the biggest thing I see with teams is it, it really gives them some closure to that product, to that loop, that project that they've been through. It also feels a need for effective learning. Because as I go across countries with Afterburner, I see that one of the things that every employee is hungry for is to get better, is to improve, is to grow in the company, to look for the next promotion, to look to get more effective as they go. And this debrief allows you to effectively grow each person through the power of every person and the expertise we've built. It's a catalyst for change because you would be amazing at how powerful it is to write some of these lessons learned on the board. If it's something I didn't do right, I take that serious, and I will devote significant time and effort into it. So you think about the power of sitting around and talking about this and how much change it will drive. As we go into the debrief, people understand that there's cause, and then there's root cause. So if we have an aircraft that gets shot down by a surface-to-air missile, everything in flying is active human error. It's always the pilot's fault. Why did the pilot get shot down? Because the pilot flew through a SAM ring. But that doesn't help us not do it tomorrow. What we need is the root cause. Either we didn't know the radar was active, that we didn't have the communication for the people that knew to tell the pilot not to go in there. But when you start looking at things as root cause, it changes how you view the world and how you improve. It helps us generate specific and actionable lessons learned. Remember that example I had of, hey, I want you to go out there and communicate better and be more effective. Nobody gets excited about that because you didn't tell me to do anything. If I tell you to go, when you come to work every day, I want you to sit down for the first 15 minutes. I want to check this list of things I expect you to do today. Then for the next 30 minutes, we're going to talk about how we work as a team to do that. That's actionable. And that is a team that you want to be a part of. It develops a culture of learning, of openness, of honesty, of vulnerability, which ultimately builds all of our confidence in each other. It's back to my other solo. I told you that I meet him at show center only off the inflection in his voice. Think about how high my level of trust is with that individual with my life. And then finally, leadership development. As you go through projects, we know that it's one thing to lead those you're over. It's another thing to lead our superiors and anybody that don't think they lead their bosses or any bosses that don't think they get led by their team might not have built the right team. But the hardest thing to do is lead a group of your peers because you don't have rank over them. You don't have authority over them. And you know that I'm leading today. You may be leading tomorrow. This is the way the F-15 world is with me. One day I would go out and lead. The next day Thor, my wingman for today, will be my lead tomorrow. That leadership allows us to practice each aspect of leadership as we move forward and upward in our company so that we are better leaders than those that are there now, which is back to what I said earlier, that is the ultimate goal of leadership is to make a better leader than we are. Wow, those are awesome. I I mean, I can't imagine anybody listening to the advantages of doing this and then not implementing this in their organization. I I, I think another thing that comes out of this too, Chris, is, is innovation, not just change or creativity, but probably some pretty good big ideas come out of some of these debriefs, I would imagine, as well. 
They do. They do. And one thing I, I didn't talk about, two, two things I did in my career that I didn't bring up, is I had the opportunity to be do a fellowship at the White House, which is pretty amazing. But more importantly, I did a fellowship at DARPA, Defense Advanced Research Project Agency. And that mm-hmm. is our evolution of the Internet, of stealth, of remotely piloted aircraft. And you sit down in this organization and is the most amazing minds in the world. And as I sat there with the director, she looked at me and she said, the same nerve it takes to make the next evolution and revolution and change because their goal is to take a change that happens 15 years down the road and make it happen in the next three to five years. She said that same nerve is the same nerve it takes for an epic failure because if you're, if you're too scared to fail, you will not reach far enough to make those evolutionary and revolutionary changes. And that is something that revolved in me and I built my leadership style around since she told me that. Right. Chris, we have about three and a half minutes or so left. Uh, what are some tips that you recommend for people doing their first few debriefs? So as we go into our first few debriefs, because like you said, I hope I inspired that in each of you to do some semblance of it out there. First of all, you want to start with why. You want to start with why did this happen? And then the next question is why did that happen? And the third question is, why did that happen? Think about it like dominoes and back it up to the first sequence in the chain of events that you could prevent, change, or modify to be better. Second of all, in order to debrief your plan, it is inferred in there that you have a plan. So you can't debrief something if you weren't clear with your team what the expectation was. So every project would start with a complete of who does what by when. And that way, when we get to the debrief, we know who performed well and who didn't. And finally, as you go back, don't pick your biggest failure and go, this is our first debrief we're going to have. Debrief a win and take the team through this process and ensure that you understand the lessons learned of how you duplicate that win down the road. And when they see how that works, then you can ease them into projects where you didn't do as well as you performed, as well as you expected. And that's how you generate this culture that's embedded in each individual person. That's phenomenal. Wow, that's great advice. I mean, we, Ed and I have been involved in implementing uh, after-action reviews in many professional firms, and it's such a big cultural change, and it takes so much time to get people to do these on a regular basis. Is that what you're finding as well out in the business world? It is. It is. And that's the reason you heard me say so many times today, it's not debriefing. It's a culture of debriefing. It's way of thinking. It's an evolution. It's a revolution. It causes us to be agile organizations that can adapt and overcome. Because think about the military. So the president of our company loves to say that the famous thing that a boxer once said is everybody has a plan until they get hit in the mouth. Right. And that's the way everything we do from combat in the F-15 to the business world with a merger and acquisition or we're going public and the uh, go-to-market plan, nothing ever goes exactly as planned. So in the flying world, we say that flexibility key to air power. And at Afterburner, we take that a step further and say that preparation is the key to flexibility. Right. Chris, I have to ask you this because I, I remember reading this. This is in one of Christopher Buckley's book. He's William F. Buckley's son. Uh, the Blue Angels brought him on, you know, they gave him a, a flight and he was getting debriefed and going through the medical exam, I guess. So he was wherever they are. And he walked into the bathroom and in the urinal, standing at the urinal, there's a picture of the Thunderbirds that they had given to the Blue Angels, you know, signed by each pilot. And I was just wondering if the Thunderbirds did anything similar to the Blue Angels. 
So we do, and you can imagine when you're the only two teams in the nation that do that, we have a blast when we're together, but it is an incredible level of competition as well. So we fly with the Blue Angels every year. The Blue Angels fly with the Thunderbirds every year, but when we go out in public, we will bag on each other. And I understand that. I mean, it's okay being the second best team in the nation. I understand you went to the Navy, but not everybody can be a Thunderbird, and I appreciate them hanging that picture in their bathroom. But the other thing, so if I could talk about one more picture hanging and what we put outside of every one of our debrief room is a sign that says it's not who's right, it's what's right. So if you go into your debriefs and your company and your teams, think about that. It's not about whether I was right or wrong. It's about what's right for our company and how we grow and be a better company tomorrow. Awesome. Chris, thank you so much for being on the Soul of Enterprise. This has been a great honor. Love your passion on this topic. Keep up the great work. Ed, what's on store for next week? Next week, Ron, we are live in Allen, Texas at the Verisage Symposium. I can hardly wait. All right. I'll see you in 167 hours. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, please do visit us for show notes and previews at www.thesoulofenterprise.com.